Hey, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, if you bring your kids to uh, the kids service and you drop them off, they give you a number. And uh, if they put the number up there, it means something's going on. Like, we can't make your baby stop crying. So I don't want to embarrass 727. <laughs> They're trying to tell you something. So everybody close your eyes so we don't know who it is. But anyway, that's what that's all about. That's, so if you've got a sticker and it has 727, um, I'm sure they just need your help back there to do something. That isn't, sometimes I think we're like playing Keno or something. I'm not sure how to play Keno, but that's not what we're doing. Hey, uh, today we begin, uh, actually we continue our series on First Peter, a series that we're calling Game Changers. And last week we had this really awesome opportunity to sit with Roger and Hiroko. If you weren't here, uh, they are just two very ordinary people who are having a pretty extraordinary impact in India where they have opened a home for girls who were rescued from trafficking. Some of the girls, as we heard last week, as young as 10 years old, pulled out of the brothels, and they offer a safe place for them to heal and hear the message of Christ. Pretty profound. And we had a, a bazaar afterwards. I told you last week, I don't know what a bazaar is, but I, now I know. We had food, and they sold some stuff. So it was, uh, it was just awesome. It was a great experience. If you weren't there, you missed it. Next time we have one of those exposure events, my encouragement is you to be there. It's a great way for you to get to know who our partners are. Uh, but, but what we want to do each week is kind of introduce you to some people, some ordinary folks that are having an extraordinary impact, and today's no different. So I would like to invite John and Anna Ebright up to the stage, and I'd like you to welcome them as we hear a little bit of their story. Welcome. Thank you. Have a seat. So today's a special day. Tell us why it's special, Anna, as soon as you're ready. Um, today is my birthday. All right. <laughs> we should all say happy birthday. One, two, three. Happy birthday. Isn't that cool? Um, but even cooler, uh, six years ago today, John asked me in the morning what I wanted to do for my birthday, and I said I wanted to go to church. And so I've been coming to church ever since. Um, but he thought I was totally kidding. Um, we were not, some of you are like, yeah, I go to church, that's what you do on Sunday. Not for us. Um, we were not church people. Uh, very far from it. Um, usually on my birthday, I would, we would go, and, go out and party. And uh, so, yeah, it was pretty cool. So, Josh, you said, I want to go to church. What's going through your mind? Why is that a big deal? Why did you succumb to the pressure? It was her birthday. Ah, good answer. <laughs> uh, I was really irritated by the idea. I didn't want to go to church. I had grown up in church. I had been here. I had left here. I uh, was, at the time, glad to have left here, I thought. And um, one of the things I liked best about Anna was that I really could never have pictured ever that she would have ever been at church for anything, <laughs> except for a funeral, maybe. But... Um, she was angry about church. I liked that. So was I. Um, we were both in our own individual, real dark uh, life, and we had that in common. And I did not, I kind of sensed what might be coming, and I didn't want to go, I didn't want to come back. So I understand. So, Anna, what do you think stirred in you? Why, why, why that Sunday? Why that request? It's, it seems so out of the box, like... 
Yeah, I of all the things you could ask for. I don't know. I, I really uh, have, I mean, obviously God sure. was like, okay, it's your time. You got to go. I, I have plans for you. And um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, so what I do know. I mean, God, my life was, I thought I was doing well and I was unhappy and doing it all my own. And uh, I just, I had seen his parents and stuff, and they came to church, and I wanted change. I, I really wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be like them. I wanted to, you know. That's cool. So what happened? So you come six years ago, you walk in the doors. Clearly, something's happened between six years ago and today, although you've had a few birthdays in between. But what, what happened um, in you and what, what's going on I over definitely this time? have grown a lot uh, I have given my life to God and he has just talk about a game changer he has changed me you know uh, I've given him my anger my depression my resentment my I've learned how to forgive other people forgive myself um, you know. And how did all that happen? Tell a little bit about the story. So I know oh, Mac Ab played a part. Yeah, I, I came into, sorry to interrupt you. I came into church on the Sunday and Eric Russ was speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And I really felt as if his message was for me. I'm sure maybe a few of you have felt like, you know what? Is, is he staring at me? Is he talking to me? I yeah, am. he is. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness, I can go to heaven. I can, God will love me, regardless of all my sin and the bad things I've done and the bad things people have done to me. It doesn't matter. God loves me. He doesn't make junk. He makes goodness. And uh, I was like, wow, I can do this. And yeah, I don't know. In the first service, you talked about some of the other ladies that have come alongside oh. you. Who else? Oh, I'm so blessed to have so many awesome people in my life, um, like Dawn, Stacey Lemansky, Wayne, which is not a woman. Um, Thanks for yeah, just in case you guys were wondering. <laughs> uh, Doug, Brian, I mean, and the whole body of grace, because I really believe that if it wasn't for the welcome and warmth of grace— that I may have not come the next Sunday. I really felt like this is where I was supposed to be. This is my church. So John, six years ago, you guys began this journey. How has it affected life at home? How has it affected your marriage? How has it affected your parenting? Uh, You're you're doing some things differently now than you were. John's giving us the PG-13 version, but there's some lifestyle things that have changed over the last six years, but, but just the whole walking with Jesus, how, what, what difference does it make? Yeah, people after the first service were like, what? You didn't talk very much about the real you. I'm like, sorry, you know. Um, initially, I had to decide that I was going to bring our marriage into a thing that I didn't want to go into, which was I was going to have to start deceiving Anna because I wasn't going to change yet. Um, when we first met, I was... Uh, able to be honest with her because we were both in darkness and then she wanted to explore the light and I had to do what I did as a kid and start faking it. That made me real sad and um, that pain prompted change a little later for me. 
but it did start to happen. So what started to happen differently was we attended little things. Um, we would uh, talk about God. We would practice praying together, practice different habits of uh, prayer at dinner, going to things at church besides just Sunday. Uh, I was starting to get jealous because Anna seemed to be very uh, quick to catch on to faith, and I felt angry because my whole life, being surrounded by the church, I always struggled with faith. Uh, so I started to look at it in a different way. I wasn't a kid coming with my parents. Now I'm a husband and a father coming with my wife. So what kind of dad am I going to be and husband and church member? And uh, a lot of just identity stuff was changing uh, what helped was when I finally uh, decided that I didn't need to figure out why and what about faith I needed, but that I just decided I was going to try it, and I was just going to decide to believe. Uh, when I decided to believe, that was huge. It didn't take, you know, I was able to stop trying to figure it all out and let uh, Christ really take over, and that still happens, like, up until probably this morning and yesterday, is like when I'm not sure what to do as a husband or as a father, um, I can, it's very real that I can just allow Christ to take over. He's always right there. But it is strange. It's, it's like we, we've known each other and been together for almost 10 years, and it's in a lot of ways getting to know a new person, and the marriage part of it is we're getting to know what marriage is like having Christ there and as Lord and not just like a concept. Is it better? Yeah. I would say. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. It is better. So it's really cool. Uh, so things are perfect in your marriage now? Yes. Yes. <laughs> they said they had a little bit of a blowout yesterday over washing the dog. So I just want you to hear that to know that, look, they're still trying to figure out. We're still trying to figure out. Meg and I are still trying to figure out. This, this thing called marriage, it's, it's, uh, it's a journey. Uh, that we're on, for sure. So, that was also big, to know that God could begin to use me before I became what I considered useful. You know? Sure. Um, I did not believe, and I can cheat because I heard the sermon already, but I, I listened to a lot of the lies from very early that I was a bad boy. You know, I was bad, and I don't finish things. I typically quit. So those kind of things... You bought into the lie. Right. All right. So here's a, cool, a couple of cool things happen. I, I thought of, as I prayed, and um, who, who should we talk to be, that are game changers? And John and Anna came to mind, and then um, I sat with John, and then John said, well, you know, it was this Sunday. It's going to be six years. So I didn't even know that part of the story, that it's a six-year anniversary. So that's kind of like a God smile to me, like, hey, we're on the right track. Um, but, but one of the reasons I wanted you to hear is because uh, God's called Anna into a pretty uh, profound place of impact. And I want her just to share a little bit about the door that God opened up for her and that she's been willing to walk through and how God's using you. So tell us a little bit about your, your ministry. On Sundays, I go to the Macomb County Juvenile Correction Facility, and I talk to uh, about 100 uh, boys and girls on Sunday, and I let them know about God's love and how awesome he is and regardless of their situation and the lies that they've been told they are awesome kids and 
They don't have to continue living the way that they are and their situation. And they're, they're just amazing kids. And they can change. If I can change, they can change. Believe that. If God can change me, they're going to be all right. Because they're young and I was old. I am old. And, you know, they're going to be all right. They're good. And, I mean, these kids are awesome. And they've been through some really yucky, yucky stuff. And there's something that allows you to relate to them in your story. Yeah, I, I mean, that, those kids are me. Those, I was them. I, um, I had a very hard childhood, and uh, it, we had a different childhood. I didn't grow up uh, coming to church. I grew up doing things that most kids shouldn't do, you know. Um, I don't know. And I want them to know that just because you've made mistakes, God doesn't look down on you. He loves you. He cool. is going to wrap his arms around you so tight. Once you accept him, that, that's it. It's going to be different. Not up cupcakes and rainbows, but it's going to be all right. <laughs> Unicorns. Yeah, Unicorns. So, John, you told us in the first service um, about one of the first times that Anna spoke and what happened. Why don't you share that story a little bit more? I didn't get to be there, but she came home. It was, uh, she was, uh, doesn't seem like it now, but Anna gets very nervous uh, before things. So she knew that she was going to be speaking. It was her turn to speak at this youth home. I think it was like your third time there, and they're already like, yeah, we want you to just lead it. And uh, She'd ask a lot of us to pray for she her. She was meeting with Doug. I need coaching. I need to talk to someone who knows how to talk to people. And Doug's like, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> And um, so she came home anyway, and she came home and she started crying. And I was like, oh, what happened? You know, and she goes, I said my story. And uh, there's a point where they ask, they do like, uh, and this isn't like a giant setup. I think there's like three adults that show up faithfully. There's only three of us. We're in the lunchroom. I can't hear you. Oh. I <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I don't have any control issues. They, uh, she came home, she said that they do the, the kind of ex, uh, invitation to accept Christ, and um, I guess sometimes when they do that, there's a little bit of interest, and some people stand up, and this time, uh, every girl, and was it every boy too? I don't know, like, majority of the boys and every single girl in there stood up to receive Christ. You know, the thing that, that just, uh, why are they up here? These are just two ordinary folks that are trying to walk with Jesus who are having an extraordinary impact in their environment. One thing we talked about last week is we listened to Roger and Hiroko and we think, yeah, but they get to go to India. They're rescuing girls from trafficking. Look, these are just two people who have said yes to Jesus and now are saying yes to whatever is in front of them and having an extraordinary impact. So I want to pray for them and then I want you to give them one more thank you. Uh, Lord, thank you for, John and Anna, thank you for uh, their story. Thank you for what a joy it's been for me to watch them uh, find their journey with you uh, to, to grow. Uh, I thank you so much for John and being here on the team and how much I just love uh, who he is and what he brings to grace. Anna, I love her story. I love the impact you have, and I feel like we need to stay out of her way and just allow her to be her in that context and uh, 
but I pray that she never become religious. Uh, and that she never, uh, the reason the girls love her is because she's just Anna who loves Jesus and knows her story and knows their story and just takes the truth with her. So, Lord, protect her from, from getting caught up in any religiosity and just help her to be her. Help them both just to walk with you. I pray that you protect them that they're going to be under attack now that they've stood on the stage and talked about you, that, that Satan's going to come after them. And I just pray that you protect them from the evil one, that you protect their marriage, help them to be who you've called them to be. And thank you so much that they are game changers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I love that story. It's very cool. So grab your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and, and in a minute here we're going to read verses 1 through 12. If you're using the Bibles under your seat, that's page 857, 857, 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you're looking, I want to recap a little bit about what we talked about last week. One of the resources I used in preparation said these words, it says, the message of 1 Peter concerns how Christians are to live in a hostile environment. And live in such a way that they not only endure, but they have lasting impact for the good of that environment. Or said another way, 1 Peter instructs you and me how to be game changers. What we also established last week is that this concept, this idea that we're called to be game changers is for everyone. No one gets a free pass. If you've made a decision to walk with Jesus, then you're called to be a game changer. You are equipped to be a game changer, you're empowered by the Spirit of God in you to be a game changer. You're called to have a lasting impact for the good on your families. You're called to have a lasting impact for the good on your neighborhoods, and you're called literally to have a lasting impact for the good in the world. The message of 1 Peter, if we stay with it, if we apply it, if we actually let ourselves soak in it and, and allow the Spirit of God to make it part of who we are, will change the positive footprint we leave on the world. One of the goals we have here as a church is that by the spring of next year, we'll have 2,000 regular engaged attenders. Not that more equals success, but the truth of the matter is, we need to tell more people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need more people who are coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. And we need to see those people having a lasting impact for the good in their environment. We need to see this church reach its redemptive potential. And the fact of the matter is, we want to see you as an individual reach your redemptive potential. And when I say redemptive potential, I'm talking about maximizing the gifts and the talents and the opportunities that God has put in front of you. He wants us to do the same thing. We need to reach our redemptive potential. And the fact of the matter is, these two things I'm talking about, you reaching your redemptive potential and the church reaching its redemptive potential are really inseparable. They are the same thing because we are one body. We are the church. And we can't reach our redemptive potential unless you as individuals begin to reach your redemptive potential, being who God created you to be. If we're open and willing to hear God through this series, through 1 Peter, it's going to help us to be who God has called us to be. Or said another way, it will help us to reach our redemptive potential, to be game changers as individuals, as families, as a community, and certainly as a church. 
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this amazing letter written by the Apostle Peter. How powerful it is to sit and, and just to soak in the word of God. And thank you for the inspired word of God. So even now as we read this, as we study this, as we learn about this, Lord, I pray that we would receive what you would have us receive. Help us to be who you've called us to be. No playing church, no religious games. Lord, just help us to live out our faith in a profound way that, that it has impact in the community. Though we don't want to play church, we want to be the church. And we ask that you would empower us and enlighten us so that we could do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, in a little while, you may have had suffered grief and all kinds of trials, but these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise." Glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. And he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, Grace Community Church. When they spoke of the things that, that have now been told to you and those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Amen? Hey, as we get further into 1 Peter, there's going to be all kinds of instructions on ethics and lifestyle, literal instruction on us how to live out our lives in such a way to be game changers. But, but 1 Peter starts with what needs to be a foundation for all of us if we are going to be game changers. He begins to tell us, what do we need to know about ourselves? What do we need to know about God? What is the foundation that needs to be set in order for us to do what God has called us to do? And I've said this before, but the truth of the matter is, most people, nobody has a sin problem. They actually have a knowledge problem. Because the more you know God, the more you know God's grace, the more you live under God's grace, the more you experience God's mercy, the more we get to the place where we understand who God is and all that he's created us to be, the more it will change your behaviors. Anything else is just behavioral modification. But God isn't into behavioral modification. He's into heart transformation. So God gets a hold of you and he begins to tell you who he is. And it begins to change how I respond to other people. It begins to change how I respond to the world. It actually 
actually changes my desires for things of God and takes me away from things of the world. So Peter knows that and he's laying this, this foundation for them to understand. So after letting everyone know who he is, so he introduces himself, I'm Peter, I'm that apostle guy, right? He immediately begins to tell them who they are. So look at verse 1 in the beginning of verse 2. He says, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout, verse 2, who have been chosen. He opens the letter by reminding the readers that he knows their lot in life. He knows their predicament. He knows who they are. He knows that they are people who are scattered. He knows that they are persecuted. He knows that they are oppressed. As a matter of fact, many of the readers were slaves. Many of them were exiles. And Peter wants to make sure that they know that he knows that life isn't all, what did we talk about? Uh, uh, unicorns and gumdrops and rainbows, right? He's saying to him, look, I know, you're, I know what your life is like. I know what you're facing. So I know what society says you are. Society says you're less than. But he says to them, no, you are God's elect. You are chosen by God. The word chosen there is the word eklektios, and it means selected, or it means picked out, or my favorite of the definitions is it means a favorite. He's saying to him, look, you are chosen by God. God handpicked you. God decided to bring Anna to church. God chased Anna. God brought Anna into faith. God chose her. God chose you. And you are God's favorite. And the first thing you need to know in order to be a game changer, a foundational truth that you have to have in order to be a game changer is that you are picked by God, that you are God's favorite. And some of you are bristling at the fact that you would be God's favorite. And the problem is you're thinking of favoritism. You see, favoritism comes at the expense of somebody else. But to be God's favorite is something very different. It's a, it's a knowledge of who you really are in God. And I think one person in the scriptures that probably got this and displayed this for us better than anyone else was the, 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 the Apostle John. If you know the Apostle John, he wrote the Gospel of John. They thought that would be a good way to name it so we'd all know who the author was. But in the Gospel of John, instead of referring to himself as I or me, instead of using that pronoun, I did this and, and, and I saw that and, and this happened to me, he always referred to himself as who? The one Jesus loved. And at first reading, you think to yourself, how arrogant could this man be? The one Jesus loved. Like if I started calling myself that, then you'd all think, well, what is that supposed to mean? And I guarantee you, John was not saying, look, he loved me and he didn't love you other 11. Look, he loved me, not the other disciples. Now, that would be silly. As a matter of fact, if you read John's Gospels, if you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John is all about this concept of love and how we are to love each other and how much God loves us. And he's not saying, no, he loved me exclusively. And he's not saying he loved me more than anybody else. Again, that would be favoritism. What he is saying that even me, even me, Screwed up, sinful, fallen me. He loved me. I was one of his favorites. And so you see it in the way he writes and you see it in the way he understood who he was. John had this, this understanding that, that in order to be a game changer, he had to know that he was picked by God, that he was one of God's favorites. You need to know that you are hand-selected, elected by God, and you are one of his favorites. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. It says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience in Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. 
We have in this one verse a clear picture of the Trinity. One, of, one God in three persons. And somebody may say to you sometime, hey, you know the Trinity's not even in the Bible. Well, it's all over the Bible. And here's one of those places where we see the Trinity at work. We actually see the, the, the role of the different persons of the Godhead in our lives. So it says, God chose you, God elected you, that you are chosen by God. And then it says, and the Spirit is at work within you doing a sanctifying work. Sanctifying work means creating a new person. So when we come to the knowledge of Christ, we become a new creation. We actually become something different than we were. And then the Spirit of God begins to work in us to change us into the image of Jesus himself. That's the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So when we say we're a mosaic striving together to live like Jesus, we can't do that unless the Spirit of God is working in us and changing us and making us who he wants us to be. And Peter knows if they just understood this, if they could wrap their minds around this truth, it would change everything for them. They would actually be people, and look at that last line, it says that they would have grace and peace in abundance. You see, our lack of peace in our lives, when we live our lives with a great deal of anxiety and worry, or lack of grace in our lives, when we are people who don't extend grace to other people. So, so what is grace? Al Coonley taught us a long time ago from, from this very stage that, that grace is not getting what you deserved and getting what you don't deserve. That grace is this, uh, this ability to move towards people with gentleness and love and tenderness, even when they are way out of bounds. Even when they are treating you poorly, even when they are your masters, even when they are oppressing you, you have this ability to move towards people with grace. And if we are not graceful people, if we are not a gracious group of people, it's because we haven't really sunken into how much grace we have received by God. Because what Peter is saying, if you know you're a new creation, if you know this about yourself, if you know the grace you have, then you will have grace and peace and abundance. The original writing of, of 1 Peter, verses 3 through 12. So if you just look at your Bible and look at how much is there, verses 3 through 12 is one long run-on sentence. There's no, no punctuation at all. So if he had an English teacher, it would have drove him crazy. And, and they've kind of restructured it so that we can read it a little easier. But in the original text, it's one run, long run-on sentence. And I love this because it shows me that, that Peter was really excited and he was probably beginning to write faster and talk faster. And I can relate to anybody who talks fast because that's part of my problem is you guys always say to me, could you just slow down a little bit? But I get excited and I begin to talk fast. And I think Peter is talking fast and he's writing fast and he begins to write about the glorious praises of God. He begins to write this, this long uh, list of all of the things that have happen and all that we have in Christ, he's painting this beautiful picture. So in verse 3, he says, praise be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's saying, praise be to God, we're not who we used to be. Praise be to God that he's given us new birth, that he's made us a new creation, Praise be to God that, that, that we're a new creation and that we have this amazing ability to lean into Jesus for our hope. That we have hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if you and I want to be game changers, if you and I really want to make a difference in our world, in our families, then we have to know that we're handpicked by God, that we're God's favorite. We have to know, as the text says here, that we are a new creation. And we have to learn to lean into Jesus for our hope. The truth is we have no excuses. 
We can't use the excuses of our past behaviors. We can't use the excuses of our past failings. We can't use any of the the things of our past to say, I can't do it because you don't know how bad I've been. Because God's saying, I don't care where you've been. I've made you a new creation and I've indwelled you with the living spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit in you. And not only can you, you are called to be a game changer, a new creation. Leaning into Jesus who is alive and is our hope in this world. So we sing a song. We sing, my hope is built on nothing less. In Jesus Christ, the Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean in Jesus' name. Peter is saying to all of us that you are picked by God, that you are one of his favorites, that you are made a new creation, that you're given hope in Jesus. And that's not all. He, he keeps going. So look at verse 4. He says, you're given new an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. We have to remember whose Peter's audience is. They're slaves. They're exiles. They are oppressed, discriminated people with little to no rights in the eyes of the law. And the truth of the matter is when a people group are oppressed, when a people group are, are put into a situation of oppression or discrimination, the, that people group begin to believe internally the lies that are laid on top of them. It's just something that sort of happens. So the people would begin to believe because society is saying is you are second class, you are less than. You are not worth it. So you go to India and you see the Dali people who are oppressed. They believe what society has said to them. They believe the lie that's been laid over top of them. My notes say that as a matter of fact, most of us, but I corrected it in the first service and I I really do believe this, all of us, all of us, even though we've never been slaves or exiles most likely, all of us have bought into a lie or two about ourselves. It may be a phrase that was spoken over you as a child by your mother or your father or your grandparents or a teacher or your classmates. But somewhere along the way, somebody said something enough times that you began to believe it to be part of who you are. You began to believe that lie and it began to stick. So my lie is you're stupid. You see, I struggled to read as a little kid. I struggled a lot to read. And by the time I was in third grade, I had a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Brooks. And Mrs. Brooks said, you're stupid to me so many times that by the time I left third grade, I believed it. I believed the lie. I believed that, that, that lie that was in my head. So whenever I get ready to do something, whenever I feel anything that's going to be challenging, I can hear the little whisper in the back of my head saying, you can't do it because you're not smart enough. You can't do it, Doug, because you're stupid. And what I'm trying to say is we all have our lie. I really believe everyone in this room. You may not be ready to see it, but I believe you have the lie. And the question I would ask you is, what is the lie that holds you back from being a game changer? You're too dumb. You're too emotional. You're a baby. You're too scrawny. You're too fat. You're damaged goods. You are unlovable. You are such a pain in the neck. You're so annoying. You're weak. You're not worth my time. You've made way too many mistakes for God to use you. But Peter is giving us a weapon. Peter is placing in our hands a weapon to fight the lie. 
He's saying, no, you're God's chosen. You're God's favorite. You're one of my favorites, and, and I'm indwelling you with the Spirit of God because I love you beyond your wildest imagination. And if we listen to the words of Peter, it gives us a weapon to fight the lies of this world. So 2 Corinthians tells us what it says, that we're to take every thought captive. Well, if you don't think about the thoughts that you have, in order to take a thought captive, you need to be cognizant of what's being whispered in the back of your head. Nobody talks to you more than you, so pay attention to what you're saying to yourself, and when you hear the lie, you take it captive, and you say, no, I am not stupid. I am God's favorite. I am not stupid. I am empowered by the Spirit of God. I am not stupid. As a matter of fact, I am God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do a good work, which God called me to do in advance. You are chosen. You are favorite. You are God's masterpiece. You are called to be game changers. And the question is, do you believe it? And if you believe it, then you need to hear the whisper that's a lie, and you need to take it captive, and you need to replace that whisper with the truth. Verse 5 says, this inheritance that you have is shielded by God's power. You know what that means? It's yours forever. It's yours forever. It's protected. God is giving you something and nothing and no one can take it away. In verse 6, Peter explains that, that as we get to a place where they really know this deep in our spirit, he says, then you can greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have suffered grief and all kinds of trials. See, when you know when you're chosen, when you know that you're God's favorite, when you know that you're a new creation and you know that you can lean into Jesus for your hope, then you can rejoice in the midst of adversity and trials. The very word hope gives us a sense of what is to come in Christ. There is something that allows us to breathe as we go through difficult circumstances. And then in verse 7, he says, as a matter of fact, these trials, these difficulties have come so that your faith may be proven genuine. God's using it to teach us something. So we go through difficult seasons in order to teach us something about God. I've been revisiting a book um, at the summit a few years ago. A guy talked, his name was Jeff Mannion. He did a talk called The Land Between. And the talk was uh, uh, actually just a sermon that he'd given in his church, and Bill Abels had heard the sermon and invited him to come to the summit, and so he gave the same sermon at the summit. The, the talk was so good, it became a book. They talked him into writing a book. And the whole premise of the book is that when we go, so I'm looking at it because we, Grace Community Church, we're in a transitional season. We're kind of in, a, in an odd state between whatever was and whatever's going to be. There seems to be sort of this, this wilderness transitional thing going on. And so I began to revisit what, what Jeff Mannion says. And the whole premise of the book is that the, the Exodus story is God trying to teach his people obedience in the midst of a wilderness experience. What he's trying to teach them is, do you believe I'm enough? What he's trying to teach them is, as they move through the wilderness is, will you learn to trust in me? So he takes them to difficult places and he takes them to difficult seasons because the truth of the matter is, if you don't rely on God when things are difficult, you will not rely on God when things are good. And so he's teaching them how to rely on God in a difficult season. And the one thing he says that really just struck me is he said, what we learn in the wilderness becomes the habits of our lives. So Grace Community Church, the way we respond in this transitional season becomes the way we will respond in whatever season God has next. God is trying to teach us to trust in him. He's trying to teach me 
to have a greater level of trust in him. He's trying to teach the elders to have a greater level of trust in him. He's trying to teach the staff to have a greater level of trust in him. So we move through the difficult season learning to trust in God. You see, we can't be game changers unless we know that we're God's favorite. We can't be game changers unless we know we're a new creation and we cannot be game changers unless we learn to lean into Jesus for our hope. In the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, we have to learn to trust and lean into Jesus, the only source for our hope. And the fact of the matter is, if we lean into anything other than Jesus, then we short-circuit or limit our ability to have impact. We limit our ability to be a game-changer. As a matter of fact, it's sort of like you're just pulling yourself out of the game and sitting on the sideline when you lean into anything other than Jesus. Remember, just a few minutes ago, I said that this uh, verses 3 through 12 were just one long run-on sentence in the original Greek, and, and I envisioned Peter all excited and talking fast, and, and his, his arms kind of going, and, and his voice getting, getting more uh, elevated. But what I want to do is I want to read verses 8 through 12 for you in the message. I want to read them in the paraphrase the message because it's kind of just taking the scriptures and putting it into modern-day language, and I want you to just listen as if Peter himself were speaking to you. Just listen to what he has to say. He says, you never saw him, talking about Jesus, yet you love him. And you still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing because you keep on believing that you'll get what you're looking forward to, total salvation. The prophets who told us that this was coming asked a lot of questions about the gift of life God was preparing. The Messiah spirit let them in on some of it, that the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when they they were told that, was it, that they were going through all this, that they were serving you. You who by orders from heaven have now heard for yourself through the Holy Spirit the message of those prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. I love this. I love how worked up Peter is. I love it when I read it and see his emotion and his excitement about it. And what he's saying is, don't you get it? From the beginning of time, from the Genesis story, from the moment of the fall of man, all of creation has been looking forward to the day that the Messiah would come. All of the prophecies, all of the scriptures were pointing towards the moment in time when Jesus would come and Jesus would live, but Jesus would suffer great things and he would raise from the dead and everything would be turned on his head. Do you know that King David longed for what you and I have? And Solomon longed for what you and I have. And Isaiah and Jeremiah and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and every one of the prophets and every one of the patriarchs that came before us longed for what you and I have. And don't you see, he says, don't you see how fortunate you are? Because there's a new covenant in place and you have direct access to God. Because Jesus has come and was buried and he rose again, you can be in relationship with God. You can walk up to the Holy of Holies. You can stand in the presence of God himself, and God is going to indwell you. God is going to give his spirit in you to empower you to do and be the person he's called to be. And with great excitement, he's pointing to this, and he's reminding them, we live under a new covenant. Peter's laying this important foundation that what we have in Jesus is where everything starts and ends. And anything else we try to do is sinking sand as we sing in the song. Anything else we try to do is crazy talk. This isn't a sermon about self-help. This is a sermon about leaning into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
He's laying a foundation and he's saying to you and I, if you want to be a game changer, you have to know that you are chosen by God, that you're God's favorite. You have to know that you're a new creation and you have to lean into Jesus for your hope. We're going to sing a song together. We're going to sing Cornerstone. I've been kind of quoting the words of Cornerstone as we went through this talk and Jamie's going to come up and we're going to do it um, maybe with a little less energy and and, uh, fullness than we sometimes do it when we use the whole band. I just want Jamie to sing. I want to ask you to consider making a declaration. I have a good friend, his name is Randy, and Randy says to me often, Doug, what do you need to declare? To declare something is say, I am. I am going to. We have an interesting weekend right now. We're celebrating the Declaration of Independence. Somebody said to me before the first service that what your sermon is going to be about a declaration of dependence. And I thought, I wish I was clever enough to think of that before I preached because I could have used that. But anyway, that's the truth, that we're going to make a declaration. And I want to know, are you willing to declare, I am going to be a game changer in my context. I am going to allow God to do what God wants to do in me and through me to be a game changer. Some of you can't be a game changer because you haven't left the lie behind. So there's a great opportunity to walk down here and leave your lie at the front and replace it with the truth that you are God's favorite. Some of you need to just come down and lay your burden at the front, your sin. Say, I know I've screwed up, but God has made me a new creation and I want to be a game changer. So as we sing this song, The invitation is there. If you want to make a declaration in your seat, that's okay. But if you want to come down, it's just an act of declaration. I am going. Not I want to be. That's not a declaration. That's a desire. A declaration is I am going to be a game changer. Lord, thank you for Peter. Thank you that you took this wildly ambitious, headstrong man. And you made him a new creation and you empowered him to be a game changer. So he could write a letter to us that says, hey, I want you guys to be game changers. Lord, help us to be game changers. Help us to take the mission you've given us into this world to make a difference. Lord, for the people that are here who don't know where to start, pray that they would know that they just have to start with you, that all they have to do is say, I can't do this on my own, and I need Jesus. That they would just come down here and say, Jesus, I need you. And today, they would be a new creation. Today, they would start their journey of walking with you. So Lord, I pray today that we would make declarations. In Jesus' name, amen.